Hello and welcome to Red Rose Roots. This is the series where we go behind the scenes of the Red Wall and we find out about the history and the personality involved with the constituencies across the north of England that recently fell to the Tories or have been susceptible to them. Join me as ever as my trusty co-host and man of facts is Rob Clark. Hello. Good to have you with us, Rob. And joining us as this episode will be focusing entirely on Hemsworth is someone from Hemsworth, Eleanor Falshaw. Hello. Hi. Now, for the sake of explaining to the listeners, do you want to just quickly introduce yourself and just say who you are, what you do? Um, so I'm Eleanor. I, well, over the past year, I've got quite involved in the Labour Party for the first time, actually. So I'm not professing to be an expert on anything. I'm still sort of getting my head around a lot of local politics. Um, but I'm involved with Young Labour. I'm youth officer for Hemsworth and just trying to sort of get involved with as much stuff as I can at the moment. Excellent stuff. And I, I would say as well, if people were looking for expertise, they'd be at a different podcast, so don't worry. Um, <laughs> so, uh, shall we get straight into things? Um, and this is the part where I ramble at you for five minutes, so strap in, listeners. What is, where is Hemsworth? Hemsworth is to the east of Wakefield, sort of southeast area. Um, Hemsworth itself is an average sized town. Um, I'm very cautious of the fact that a lot of our listeners tend to come from cities. So when we say big towns, it basically means like a couple of streets. Um, it's made up of the town of Hemsworth, along with South Kirby, um, South Emsel, North Emsel, Sandal, Abrick, Walton, Crofton, or New Crofton, if you want to get pedantic, Shalston, Fitzwilliam, Streethouse, Featherston, Nostal, Havercroft, Numula Dam, and a myriad of smaller hamlets and villages like Kilnley. What you can immediately get a sense of when we discuss, when we're going to be discussing this seat, is that this is a rural place, and this is a lot of small communities that have kind of been grabbed together within the constituency. But that's fine because this is the case for a lot of seats in the north that they're outside of these kind of metropol- uh, metropolitan areas, such as Wakefield. So, people have been living in Hemsworth area since prehistory, basically. We don't know a whole lot about it, but there's a good amount of evidence to suggest that there have been people living in this area since before the Normans arrived. Um, Hemsworth, Featherstone, South Emsel, South Kirby, Crofton, Walton, Sandal all just appear in the Doomsday Book, but under different names, which I'm not going to say because that's too nerdy even for this podcast. So, these areas in the Doomsday Book are agricultural settlements, and Unlike the glamorous past of Wakefield and Pontefract, Hemsworth constituency stays agricultural for a lot of the history. Um, It's mostly farming, which is why in the 1500s, when an attempt is made to set up a grammar school by Robert Holgate, who was one of Henry VIII's advisors, it goes disastrously. The school was open from 1546 to 1888, and it went through decades of having no pupils at all. This school was boycotted because it didn't have good standard teaching and good standard students, according to the contemporary sources I found. They essentially were trying to treat, teach um, Latin and Greek to farmhands, and well, it didn't really go very well. Other things, however, were going well in other parts of the constituency. So if we go further towards Wakefield area, parts of Walton were actually owned by the Knights Hospitaller when they arrived back from the Crusades. Um, Hemsworth is, when you kind of look at the geographic area, is dotted with these estates, these um, places where the aristocracy lived. The surviving monuments to that is Waterton Hall and Nostal Priory. 
In the 16th century, we see that Wakefield um, being involved in the Civil War affects um, Hemsworth as well. Waterton Hall is seized by the parliamentarians and they were forced to give up supplies. They reportedly they got their own back when they managed to blast off a man's leg as he made off of a keg of beer. And then in 1684, John Nevison, who was the inspiration behind Dick Turpin, um, was arrested at the Free Houses Inn, which is still there today, and I'm not shocked that such a... Arden criminals there because I've been in and I'll say I was lucky to get out alive and then we get out of all this kind of you know genteel uh, country life area and we get into the 1780s hundreds and I'm just going to say it coal coal happens and early coal mining despite going back all the way to the 1300s in Featherstone it, it just skyrockets and when we covered Wakefield, we basically were at pains to say that there was um, engineering works going off, there was glass works, there was mills. Hemsworth had none of that. Hemsworth was just coal mines. Just That was the only industry that was there. And these little towns that make up for it had a couple of thousand people living in them and all of them worked in the same place. The primary schools were set up to educate the miners' children and they were no mostly set up by the local aristocracy. Um, one such place was called the Cribbins Lump which apparently was a nickname given to it and I, I've searched through three books and I couldn't find out why it was this so that's just one of those things that we just have to go with um, I would say the only thing I'd note before we get started in terms of its electoral history is that the Kinley evictions occurred in 1905 now this was, uh, there was a minor strike going off and the local Fitzwilliam family was in charge of uh, Kinley because that's just next to Fitzwilliam 26 families were forcibly evicted during the strike, which was broken by the police, and this actually caused the local um, landed elites to go down in popularity and would end up with them falling out of favour permanently. Um, so you, you really get the picture, this place is quite rural, it's got a weird relationship between being the centre of the Industrial Revolution, yet having all these kind of um, almost old world facets of, um, you know, landed elites, nobles and lords. So, let's get started, shall we? And Rob, um, which MP should we start with? Well, I think you wanted to quickly talk about Price from 1931. Yes, I very briefly wanted to mention Price, because Price, um, as we start off, was elected in 1931. Unlike um, nearly every other MP uh, in a safe Labour area, he was not re-elected in 1931 off the back of a Tory going down. Hemsworth, since its foundation in 1918, returned Labour and has only ever returned Labour. Mm. Um, he was elected with no opposition. Um, this is a weird trend we have in Hemsworth constituency. For a lot of its history, the Conservatives didn't even bother standing candidates. Um, Gabriel Price is kind of the start of what I'm going to call the stub MPs of this seat, where we can't find all that much about them because they didn't seem to do all that much. He was a former miner, we know that much. Um, the main thing that we have got documentation of is the controversy surrounding his um, premature passing. Now, in 1934, on the 26th of March, Gable Price is described as running after a train, holding over a fence and drowning. And it was put down as an accident. But later investigations and um, conversations with the family have actually had to be put down as a suicide. Now, I, I found this just a tad bit morbidly fascinating because this is once again seeing a trend that we saw in Wakefield where the MPs don't leave office, they die. 
um, they are forced to leave because of the fact they die or they've got very ill health. And Gabriel Price, when he dies in 1934, is unfortunately a grim continuation of that trend we see. Um, Gabriel also had the unfortunate, fortunate fact that at this point his office was based in Wakefield because Hemsworth didn't have reliable phone cables. So in order to do his job as an MP and reply to constituency matters properly, he had to actually do it from Wakefield. Um, which again, I think that really speaks volumes to kind of how rural this place was and how it wasn't exactly at the cutting edge of technology. So Gabriel Price in 1934 passes on and do we have a by-election, which is when we're going to turn to Rob. Well, you say we have a by-election. Um, George Griffiths is elected unopposed in 1934. He uh, has absolutely no competition. One year later is the 35 general election and he takes 80% of the vote. Hemsworth is at this point extremely safe and it will remain so an awful lot of his overall history. Uh, George Griffiths was born in Wales and he starts down the mines when he's 13. Now at some point in his life he moves to Royston just outside of Barnsley and that's in 1903. He becomes the delegate for the Moncton Colliery branch to the Yorkshire Miners Association in 1911. So he's, he, he is as many MPs for Hemsworth are a miner or associated with the industry. He serves as a member of the West Riding County Council on public health, highways, law and parliamentary public assistance and the West Riding River Board. So he's involved with politics sort of quite an early stage. Uh, he becomes the Member of Parliament in 1934, as we've said, and that's sort of all we know about him. We've, we know that he makes contributions in Parliament. He spoke on the National Insurance Industry Industrial Injuries Bill in 1945 and he was keen to try and keep lawyers out of the bill and he, he pointed out that uh, in terms of a lot of these cases lawyers got 53 percent of of the of the you know the the results from these cases where workers were injured mm. and the actual people who were injured only got 47 percent um as an ex-miner he also spoke about miners pay and he was involved in trying to in uh, improve this sort of situation for them he died just five days after he made the comments on the uh, the industrial injuries bill. And he is replaced by a man called Horace Holmes, who was also elected unopposed in 1946. So there's a trend in the early sort of period of Hemsworth where its representatives, the Conservatives, or indeed any opposition party, don't really see much of a point in fielding anyone against him. Now, uh, Horace Holmes just uh, was born in Royston, where George Griffiths moves to yeah. uh, in 1888. And he also becomes a coal miner. So again, you've got this history of coal cropping up. He serves as a sergeant in the Leeds Rifle in the First World War, and he wins the Distinguished Conduct Medal. From 1923 onwards, he was the secretary of his branch of the Yorkshire Miners Association, and he was lucky enough to be sponsored by his union. Now, in 1946, no candidate who got the sponsorship of a miners' union fails to become the candidate. So anyone who gets a nomination is the de facto Labour nominee for the area. And that was the case for him in Hemsworth. Yeah. Holmes held the seat for three general elections and every single time it's the largest Labour majority in the entire election. I mean, I just want to bring Eleanor on this. Um, you, we've kind of got like the, well, as we've talked about at the start of this, this is ridiculously safe Labour country and it seems to be entirely down to an industry which... Well, for the vast bulk of everyone on this um, podcast live has not actually been an active thing. I mean, does it feel like kind of weird when you look back at this stuff, but just how 
much this community depended on just one single industry. Yeah, I don't know how sort of best to kind of phrase this, but I guess all the communities in the Hemsworth constituency, they these days they don't have that kind of centre that obviously that's what mining provided. And yeah. yeah, it's very interesting to sort of see the history, what it used to be like, you know, mm -hmm. having these commute the sort of centre of the community being mining and how that's obviously not the case anymore. And it's sort of very different feel to the communities because of that, really. I mean, you see it when you actually go through the constituency, don't you? Like when you go driving around the places, like um, for those who've never been to this bit of the world before, where all the mines used to be, there is now just endless nature reserves everywhere. And it almost feels almost kind of alien, doesn't it? Um, I suppose, because it seems quite artificial. These lovely spots of nature 50 years ago would have just been a gigantic hole in the ground. Mm. Um, so as me and Rob have kind of hinted at, the issue we've got with some of these earlier MPs is that they seem to have gone through, they seem to have been re-elected multiple times and that's all they've done. They just seem to ask questions in the House and... Well, Oh, Horace Holmes was the parliamentary private secretary to Hugh Gakeskill and Philip Noel Parker, um, and they were the ministers for fuel and power between 1947 and 1951. He was the Labour whip for the Yorkshire members after this. Mm. He, he stands down in 1959, and he, he doesn't die, he actually stands down, and he is knighted in 1966. Uh, so, but the, the sort of last thing he does in Parliament is he makes a contribution to accuse the government of being afraid of the drink trade in 1958. Um, so he he's not as star as some of the, the the Wakefield MPs we spoke about last time, but he's um, he, he does he does have an impact in Parliament. He's replaced by Alan Beanie, and. Alan Beanie is born in New Silksworth in County Durham. He's not a Yorkshire lad, uh, but he does be become a, a coal miner in Yorkshire. So again, it's it's all about coal. He joins the Labour Party and he, he served on the, the Dern, Dern Urban District Council from 1938 to 1952, and then again from 58 to 59. Uh, the Miners Association funded his study with the National Council for Labour Colleges, and he would serve on that executive committee pretty much thereafter. He speaks on the coal industry bill and drew on his experience of being an underground miner for 40 years. And that's pretty much all we have on Alan Beanie. Uh, electorally, he's first elected in 1959 with 82% of the vote, and he holds the seat until 1974, and it never drops below that 80%. So as we've said, that really core strength of the Labour vote remains He's eventually replaced by Alec Woodall, but Beanie's a big fan of, of Woodall and he stays on longer than he would have wanted to because he wants Woodall to inherit the seat. It's a big, big majority. So uh, Woodall inherits in 1974, doesn't he? he? He does, I believe, yes. Yes, so which means I've got things I can add because on my side, I usually do, we've got some community updates, hurrah. Now, with the Wakefield one, we did a lot of updates on economy. Can't do that here because there's only one industry like I, I can't stress this enough this entire community of roughly about eighty thousand people today all relied on one single industry which is why what we're about to get into in perhaps 10 minutes is going to be absolutely brutal um but there are some nice things i can tell you for instance that the churches across the entire constituency post-war in the middle 50s they went on this campaign of actually like 
um, going through the bells inside of the little church altar, uh, sorry, church steeples, and they start carving names of the veterans who fought there, which I I found to be actually a really nice touch because um, in in terms of like remembering the sacrifice the community went through, there was actually quite a big sign operate in Hemsworth and this bit of uh, West Yorkshire. Equally though, we also see the closure of something, which is the canals that ran through the Wakefield area. Um, if you go there today, these were all abandoned, but back in the day, they were used to transport coal um, for the most part. These um, canals are abandoned in 1953 at the latest. And then in 1959, we get the Walton Colliery disaster, which is uh, where five men die. Um, I tried to look up the details of the disaster, but again, it seems to be kind of scantily uh, referenced, meaning that it wasn't taken note of at the time, which I, I'm not a fan of when that happens. The other big note I've got for this period is um, miners at Nostal Pit discover, and I don't have an exact date for this, but it's around the 60s, they discover an underground church. Um, yeah, they, they're mining in Nostal, uh, which at the time, Nostal Priory, as it's still called now, used to be a centre for where the monks lived. They were mining underground when they stumbled across um, the Priory's old coal mine, which had been maintained by the monks until 1540. Um, which, what they'd done was they'd basically built catacombs underground, but used it to export coal out. So these miners trying to dig and find new seams accidentally stumbled across um, shafts that had not been touched in 400 years. Which I, I this, it's one of those weird things that keeps happening. Um, whilst they're digging around for new shafts, however, there is a um, massive issue afflicting the constituency called um, subsidence. Um, for those who are not gifted in mining terminology, this is when you've dug underground and the surface sags. Mm -hmm. For this reason, the Cribbins Lump, which is the um, block of terraced houses built for the miners, is demolished because it is more expensive to repair it than it is to just demolish it, and as is Shebet Hall, which is where Numaladan uh, stands now, a another country park. The hall had been there since about the 1100s, but couldn't survive um, part of the grounds collapsing in on itself. Which is all of my constituency updates, though. I just quickly want to throw you to Eleanor, just because... Um, Admittedly, in our research, we discovered this stuff was hard to drag out. So uh, presumably, this is a lot of it is kind of you hear, you're hearing about it for the first time. Um, <laughs> I'm just I'm quite curious, um, just with the fact that there's stuff like canals and old halls and stuff, which are like now completely vanished. Um, I, I suppose what I kind of want to ask you is just, do you think it's kind of sad that like this, this history isn't more kind of richly celebrated in terms of like Hemsworth culture and community? Because I feel like, especially around here, the only bits that we really know about very well is the uh, miners' strike and the downfall of the industry rather than what it was like its heyday. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's hard to find the, his the sort of positive history, except for these sort of little bits and pieces that you've got. It, it would be nice to... Um, have a bit more to celebrate in the history of the area rather than just the more sort of negative sides of it. I mean, what, 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 um, obviously you've been involved for the last year of in the Labour Party. Have you kind of gone on your own kind of political education of what happened through the area or have you always kind of been aware that there was the mining heritage? I, I was always sort of aware of that on a basic level, but yeah, I've got to admit, I, did not know as much as I probably should have done and really still don't about the sort of history of the area. And it, I am enjoying sort of learning more about it, but mm -hmm. it, there isn't as much of it 
recorded to learn about as would be nice. But um, I've definitely, um, over the past sort of year or so, um, learned more about the history of the area, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Let's learn a bit more, shall we? Rob, I believe um, I cut you off just as you were trying to get into um, Alec Woodall. That's all right. It's, um, it's fine because uh, Alec Woodall was born in Hemsworth in 1918. Uh, that's all it tells me. I assume that's therefore the town of Hemsworth and, and not just a generic, uh, he was born in this constituency. Am I, um, am I also completely making this up or is that the first MP we've done in this um, episode who has actually been born inside the constituency? I think so, yes. Yes, I think that is. Um, other than Khan, who's currently the MP for Wakefield, I think he was born in Wakefield. But anyway, uh, we, we're getting away from the uh, Alec Woodall, born in Hemsworth in 1980. His family was involved in the mining industry and his father was actually injured, and very badly injured. He suffered a broken back as a result of his, his injury down the mines. And this leads Woodall to take you know, a special focus on the treatment and compensation for injured mine workers. He's educated at the South Road Elementary in Hemsworth. He went to the pits aged 14. So again, at a very young, young age, it's important to sort of remember that in, you know, that will be the early 1930s. Um, and it's important to remember that still, there's not that much legislation in place to protect younger workers. It's still yeah. expected of you to go down and, and get involved, and, and he did. Uh, he also volunteers to serve in the Second World War in 1939. He was involved in the D-Day plus two landings and was part of the King's Own Light Infantry. He was moved from the King's Own Light Infantry to the Canadian Regiment Princess Patricia, during which he saw his French-Canadian officer killed during combat, and he assumed command of the, uh, of the, of the mission. Uh, he was blown up at the Battle for Tessel Wood, which left him partially deaf. And because of this partial deafness that he suffered, it, it, would, uh, it would influence his time in Parliament. He did spend some time trying to raise awareness of the fact that a lot of deaf people um, were still struggling for help, even with the you know, creation of the NHS and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, the 1960s roll around and you see a big sort of surge of factionalism uh, in the Yorkshire miners. And it made it difficult for him to get on this parliamentary panel. That's why Beanie prolongs his career because Woodall is his, he's, a, he's his heir. He's, he's the man he wants to take over, but it takes time. Yeah. Um, and uh, Woodall spends eight years on Hemsworth Urban District Council and at the age of 56 years old, finally takes over from Beanie. And he, he does so and pretty much smooth sailing from there up until a point. <laughs> he, he becomes the parliamentary private secretary to Edmund Dell in 1976, and he was a secretary of state for trade and industry. And this yeah. was actually quite ideal as throughout the 13 years he spends as member of parliament for MP, he displayed a deep knowledge of trade and export issues. And that's a call to, uh, so we get the name, I think it's Tam, Tam Daliel of The Independent, who writes a lot of obituaries, which I found out a fair amount of stuff about Woodall, says that he, he had a deep knowledge of trade and export issues. His attendance in Parliament was labelled as exemplary, and he raised concerns with the quality of imported coal, labelling it nothing but muck in 1985. But he made himself an enemy of Arthur Scargill. Uh, Arthur Scargill, as I think we all know, was a very prevalent figure in the miners' strike. In, in fact, he was possibly the 
you know, he's, he's, there are two people you remember from the minor strike. One's the Prime Minister and the other is Arthur Scargill. Uh, Hemsworth was very much influenced by Arthur Scargill and Woodall's opposition to him was politically very poor for Woodall and he was deselected in 1987. Um, and he was replaced by George Buckley. George Buckley uh, was his part, he was the chairman of the constituents and he supported Scargill, which is pretty much why he inherits the party. But after Parliament, Woodall, he devotes himself to the soldiers, sailors and Airmen's Family Association. And he serves on the committee for the rest of his life, rest of his time, pretty much rest of his time, rest of his life. Yeah. You see, I found, I found it very interesting that he didn't go on to do something with coal mining because as I'm about to get into, um, well, let, let's just put it this way, Hemsworth constituency, the surrounding towns of it, for a, a few decades was put inside a special zone of economic um, renewal, and, like funding, because it was that badly hit by the strikes. Um, mm. We've talked about the miners' strike before, but um, rather than bore you with the same story again of how they went out on strike, they suffered a hard time, and in the end lost. I have actually found an article in The Guardian specifically about Hemsworth from 1984, uh, which describes the village as not an unattractive place, with its market, pubs and clubs, a place where it is impossible to walk on the street without chatting to friends. The local police station blends into other buildings and people still do refer to their local bobbies. Um, they describe it as kind of a humorous and hardworking community and then talks about how, um, well, they actually have an interview with one miner, which I'll just, I'll read out probatum. Um, you have two people whose personalities clash straight away, Arthur Scargill and McGregor. She, Thatcher, knew it. She knew there was going to be a fight. Now before Derek Ezra and Joe Gormley were two men who could sit down and talk. Things were sorted out amicably between them both. This is referring to the fact that in Hemsworth in the 84 strike, there was a lot of violent clashes. And this is attributed to the locals as young lads not knowing how to stand and talk and being a bit headstrong. Um, and as Rob rightly puts, um, he is, uh, Woodall is deselected in 1986 uh, for making an enemy of um, Scargill. What I would say just before we move on to the next MP for a very short amount of time is I, because of the fact that this is such a one industry town, the, the loss of the industry really scarred these communities dreadfully hard. And I, I mean, because if you go to these places today, you, you wonder why these towns cropped up because some of them like uh, Kinley, bits of Kirby, you go there and it's just streets. There's just brick-back houses from about 70 years ago. Nothing mm. else is there. And you, you wonder how these places built up and why people built here. And it's because the heart of it's gone. It's been yeah. torn from them. But that's that's me being quite... Um, well, it's, it's, it's worth mentioning. It's also why, of course, Scargill and, and, and people who, who supported Scargill were so strong within Hemsworth's constituency. Uh, you know, the, the thought of losing, as you say, the, the, the primary industry is... Ellen has told us uh, a sentiment that hasn't truly been replaced even now was, was really, really important to them. Um, so George Buckley was a Scargill supporter and he does become Member of Parliament in 1987. He replaces Woodall. He's, he was the chairman of the Hemsworth Constituency Party before this and uh, he's referred to as the late and brave by the aforementioned Tam Daliel. Um, that's really all I have on him. I did look 
and there's there's very little on George Buckley other than his contributions in Parliament, which were quite they were quite generic. There, there wasn't anything that stood out as this is what this man stood for, which is a sad thing to say, because obviously you know he was member of Parliament for four years for this constituency before he very sadly dies of cancer. So mm. the only thing I, I can talk about really is sort of go over a generic view of turn of vote share from 1974, which is still Woodall's term uh, to 1987 when he takes over and they sees a, a decline in the Labour Party vote. In mm. 1974, Labour dropped below 80, 80% for the first time since 1931. And he never gets back up towards 80%, never gets over 80% again. Uh, the absolute, until, <laughs> Until I shall say uh, the last election, <clears throat> the last election, the lowest vote share was 59.3% in 1983. In 1987, when uh, Buckley turns up, he does manage to get that back up to 67%, but it never gets close to 80% again. So that sort of Labour dominance is still there, but it's much, it's much reduced and it's much yeah. weakened. And that brings us on to George Buckley's successor, Derek Enright. Derek Enright is a very unique character. He's um, not what you'd expect for a representative for Hemsworth. For a start, well, he can speak Latin. I, uh, I was gonna. I was actually just gonna cut in there. Just I actually ask Eleanor for a second. So based off of kind of what you've heard of the everyone before Derek, what do you expect then of like a typical Hemsworth MP? That has been sort of with all the MPs we've looked at so far, the thread running through them all that they either were miners themselves or they're involved in the mining community, um, which makes sense really because that that's what the area was. It was mining and not much else. So yeah, it kind of what else could the MPs be and get elected? Mm. Well, Rob, shall we see? Well, Derek Enright was born in Thornaby on Tees, which was then the North Riding of Yorkshire. There have been some border changes since then. Um, sadly. Um, he was educated at Woodham College in Oxford where he gained a Bachelor in Arts in Classics. He was very much not a minor. He became a teacher of Classics at the John Fisher School in London. He taught there from 1959 to 1967. In the 70s he taught at St Wilfrid's Catholic High School where he was noted to have taught the kids to sing Yellow Submarine and Ten Green Bottles in Latin. In 1974 though he Gains he becomes representative on the West Yorkshire County Council. And that leads him in turn to then become the Labour MEP for Leeds. He, he gets the nomination, because back then, bearing in mind, obviously we've just, well, I say just, it's 2021. Uh, two years back, we had the European Parliament elections. And if you vote in them, you'll know that they're done by the De Hunt method. That's a proportional representation sort of system of electing representatives. Uh, the early elections in the European Parliament were done by first past the post. So um, he gets the nod just ahead of um, another candidate. He wins by one vote to become the presumed nominee for Leeds. He is elected and he served until 1984, but he is then deselected due to factionalism. The same sort of factionalism that brings Woodall down is still there in the party and it's still causing problems. Uh, this is obviously you know, 1984, that's just three years before Woodall loses his seat, so it's a big problem still. He does get the nod to go and stand to be the representative in Kent East uh, for the European Parliament, 
but he doesn't win that because it's in Kenton in 1980s. He's gonna gonna vote one way. Yeah. Um, he was the British Labour Group spokesperson on the Third World Affairs in his time in the European Parliament. And when he loses his seat, he goes to Guinea-Bissau and he he works in Guinea-Bissau to assess the situation there. Um, when George Buckley dies, he is he's nominated as the Labour candidate for Hemsworth. And that's a little bit misleading because there is a little bit of a farce about this. And that is that the Labour Party was hopelessly divided uh, about the decision to impose a moderate candidate instead of a ally of Scargill. Scargill and his allies, want, uh, allies wanted a man called Ken Capstick to be the, the candidate for Hemsworth. Uh, but something which is quite, you know, jovially called the by-election hit squad, led by Roy Hattersley, deputy leader of the Labour Party, weren't having any of it. They did not want Capstick uh, to be the MP. They saw him as a troublemaker and obviously as an ally of Scargill. The last thing they wanted was another troublemaker in the Labour Party. So they give them a list of four moderates. And when, when Hemsworth say no, they say, well, it doesn't matter then. And they force Enright on the constituency. That's uh, incredible. Yeah, it's That's actually incredible. It's it's a very interesting sort of story for him, but and you'd expect it to go um, really badly, the by election to go really badly. But he he um, he wins sixty six point three percent of the vote, and it actually goes quite well. I think the people of Hensworth are, are quite surprised by this chirpy uh, sort of character who just emerges from nowhere can speak latin some of his election campaign posters have latin on them as well so he's he's very big on the latin so we go from having a minor to having a man elected by singing latin and putting it on his posters mm, yeah it doesn't sound something that would be far detached from an antic of rees mogg that's actually incredible it was but he was very popular throughout parliament um it, it was in 1993 during a debate on education reform bill he was challenged by Nicholas Fairburn, the, cons uh, the Conservative representative for Perth and Kinross, to sing uh, Yellow Submarine <laughs> in Latin, which he did. He, uh, he yeah. proceeded to sing in Latin in the House of Commons and only stopped when he was bollocked by the Speaker for doing so. Um, other That's... than that, he's, he's probably one of the more, more long-lasting things he's done is he formed the Christian... Uh, the, the cross-party movement for Christian democracy. He was a co-founder of that in 1990. And parts of that have gone on to form the largely unsuccessful Christian People's Alliance, the political party who stand, uh, I think, largely in London. They've stood not really where, anywhere else. Um, but he, like Buckley, isn't MP for very long. It's only four years, really. Um, I think it's only four years. Yes, because yes. Uh, Buckley dies in 91. Um, Enright sadly dies in 95 so he's only MP um, for a very short amount of time. It's a very sad end to this. Uh, Barbara Castle says that he was as sincere a man as I've ever met so very high high praise from a sort of champion of that Labour Party you know heritage Barbara Castle. You his see. inheritor just before we move on to George his inheritor is the current incumbent John Trickett. I was just going to note that um, I actually dug this up, just going back to Woodall slightly, because um, he's very unfortunate and he notes it because he points out in the meeting where he's deselected, um, in all its long history, the, York the Yorkshire NUM has allowed its MPs to die in office or retire with honour. I am the first to be sacked for no reason. Mm. 
And then we have a return to form with MPs dying, even though one of them is not an NUM man. And in fact, this Latin singing eccentric man who was cut down in his prime. Mm, he was very popular throughout much of what he does. Very popular. Um, he played cricket uh, and there was, there was a, they went to Greece to play cricket and there was a, a point where uh, it's no amount of, uh, someone said, I don't recall who it was, but someone said that no amount of Uzo, Uzo, Uzu, the, the Greek drink, the Greek spirit Uzo, or whatever it's pronounced as, no amount of it would stop Derek Enright trying to converse in Greek with the Greeks. And uh, they noted it was very upsetting because uh, Derek only knew how to speak ancient Greek. He did not know how to speak modern Greek. So uh, there was a bit of confusion. In that, I don't know if that was if that was an exact thing. I, I I think Derek may have been aware that there have been some linguistic changes in Greece since Plato, but it nonetheless quite indicative of who he was as a character. Well, I mean, Derek must um, if only Derek had been born like about four hundred years before he was, because he could have taught at that school in Hemsworth, but he needed he a good quality Greek teacher, and just it didn't happen. And Hemsworth could have been the bastion of Greek culture in the uh, in west in you know in the north of England. Well, that's the thing. That school was set up before the Quegg School in Wakefield, so Hemsworth could have been a metropolitan elite hub for intellectual mm. discourse. Um, but as as Rob points out, um, unfortunately, Derek died sadly in 1995 due to cancer at the age yes. of 60, which means we can then come to the final MP, um, Mr. John Trickett. Yes, he is, is someone who I think we can all talk about because we all know who this man is. He is the incumbent, as we've said, and he's, he's quite, he's relatively controversial. He's, I, yeah, he, he's had a political journey, shall we say. He, um, he does. He, after en, Enright's death, um, he becomes the member of parliament. Now I couldn't find any sort of scandal about his selection, so I assume it was fairly run of the mill. Well, his, his background was that he'd, uh, he, he was from Leeds. So again, mm. not born in the constituency, continuing the trend, which only one of them has booked. Um, but he's, he, uh, unlike as well, unlike a lot of his um, contemporaries as well, he went to university. He actually received a master's in uh, political sociology from Leeds. Mm. Um, his background was working as a plumber and a, and a builder whilst also working in the um, anti-Vietnam War movement. Um, he was mm. also responsible for the Labour left in Leeds having a particularly strong footing. And he also was secretary of the Vote No campaign in the 1975 common market referendum. Oh right, I see. Yes, yeah, uh, was... a, a man after the Brexit, the Lexit vote. Um, <laughs> before yes. we get in, before we get into his parliamentary career, should we ask Alana, what, what do you think of John Trickett? I mean, have you have you met the man? I've met him over Zoom, as is everything these days over mm. Zoom. I've not met. I don't think I met him in person, but yeah, I um, I've seen him over Zoom quite a bit. Um, I personally think he's brilliant like he's sticks with principles and listens to the local people um mm. and you know they're kind of the, the two big things you want for an mp really um and i think he kind of because obviously we've talked about um the history of the area and a sort of an industrial mining area and i, I think he, he gets that and the history and how that has affected the present day and what the people want locally. Um, 
I, I could go on to talk about the most recent election, but I assume we'll be getting on to that in a bit. So we, yeah, we, we, will, yeah. we will speak about the more recent <laughs> stuff, yeah. But just so, a very, very brief overview of what he's done before 2019. Um, he obviously becomes MP. He was Peter Mandelson's PPS, Private Parliamentary Secretary. And uh, he, he leaves government more or less at the same time as Mandelson when he has his big fall from grace. Trickett goes on to chair the Compass Group, which um, is sort of a, a left of centre pressure group with, that is associated with the Labour Party. When Iraq rolls around, he is very much against. He participates in protests in London, in Wakefield and in Leeds. And he just he's, he's having none of it. He rebels at every opportunity he gets against Tony Blair on, on things that aside from Iraq as well. He becomes very much a, one of these ardent rebels against Blair's leadership. He's against Trident, as you may expect from what some of the things George was saying earlier on. And he campaigns, uh, he becomes the campaign manager for John Cruder's run at the deputy leadership in uh, 2007. Uh, John Cruder only got 19.4% of the vote overall, and he doesn't, um, he doesn't become the deputy leader, Harriet Harman does, but he's, he's involved. Miliband appoints him to the shadow minister for the cabinet office. And when Miliband fails in 2015, he nominates Corbyn for the leadership. Corbyn is, as we all know, successful and is appointed and appoints Trickett as the shadow Lord President of the Council and then as the shadow Secretary of State for Business. Um, jumping ahead of the election in 2019, just a little bit, he backs Long Bailey in 2020 and when she fails, uh, he's asked to step away from the front bench. Uh, where he currently resides as a backbencher. So we're going to obviously talk about 2019, some of the other election results very quickly. Uh, in 1997, at the peak sort of Labour vote you see when Blair comes to power, he earns 70.6% of the vote. The referendum party does stand in Hemsworth and he gets 2.8% of the vote. In 2005, after the Iraq wars happened and the scandal around that, that drops sharply to 58.8%. Veritas, a uh, sort of splinter group of UKIP led by uh, Kilroy Silk, um, a TV presenter and former Labour MP, they get a whopping 3.4% in the constituency. Now, in 2001, just going back a little bit, Liz Truss uh, stands in Hemsworth, the, uh, the, the Queen of Cheese herself, <laughs> briefly standing there. Well, the um, apple orchards inside of Hemsworth constituency, she must have been furious about the lack of British apples. Mm, quite. She, um, she doesn't stick around for long. Uh, by 2010, the vote share is down to 46.8%. Uh, the BNP stand this year and they achieve 7%, but they don't really stand again. 2015, UKIP get 20% of the vote and... In 2017, we see a big shift of uh, over half of that vote goes to the Conservative Party and they close the gap to within about 20% of the vote share. And as we like to do, we're going to talk about 2019. It's, it's very close. It's much closer than so now the, the statistics we've been looking at so far in terms of like 80%, 70%, and even like, you know, sort of the, the, the you know, at the start of his career, Trickett himself was on 70%. 2019, he's got a majority of 2.7%. And there's a, there's a huge drop in 2019, 18.5% decrease in Labour's vote share in the constituency. Um, 
So I'll let George introduce the next sort of part. Well, I was going to say, actually, rather than go to me, should I go to Eleanor? Because obviously she said she'd like to talk a little bit about the most recent election, and I feared that now might be the time. Um, yeah, this is all just sort of my personal thoughts and trying to work it out myself. But I, John Trickett has been pretty popular all through his time as MP. Um, I'd say that probably the issue for a lot of people was the party nationally and the stance or lack thereof on Brexit, because um, it was an area that heavily voted to leave. And I don't think people were happy with the um, sort of lack of clarity um, when it came to Brexit from the National Labour Party. Mm. Having said that, I don't think um, we should become complacent and think, well, I'll just come back in the next election now Brexit sorted. Um, I think that would be quite a dangerous thing to do. Mm. Uh, yes, Hemsworth is remarkably close. My friend, who is currently sat outside in the sun, enjoying life, uh, is from the constituent Hemsworth, and he said in 2019 to me, Rob, there's absolutely no way he'll even be close in Hemsworth. And I still remember the, the surprise on his face when I told him uh, how close it was. So it's, it was a big surprise in 2019 that Hemsworth was as close as it was. Um, in terms of the actual vote share, we did uh, obviously the, the majority was there. As Eleanor said, complacency is is definitely not the way to go. In 2019, the Brexit Party got 13.5 percent of the vote, and with a majority of only 2.7 percent, uh, any you know even a small amount of that swinging to the Tories at the next election will be uh, will be bad news. But that being said. This is this is unlike Wakefield. This seat has never been Tory before, and we can perhaps live in hope that the, um, as my granddad put it, the the people who voted Conservative having their hands physically shaking while doing so, is, you know, sort of having to force themselves to do it, they'll come back into the fold, and uh, and and it will be a Labour hold. It's um, it's always difficult because we're so far away from an election to sort of say how it's going. But we've seen recently in the polling suggestions that we're going to, that Labour would take back a lot of the seats lost in 2019 in the North. It's 46% to 44% ahead in just the red wall seats as the, as the pollsters like to call it. So there is a lot of hope in Hemsworth, but as Eleanor says, complacency is, is always the killer and, the upcoming by-election in Hartlepool in particular be an indication of how things are going in Northern Seas. I suppose then I'd like to ask Alan just two questions before perhaps we round off and just talk a bit about the upcoming local elections. Um, first of all, what do you want people to know about Hemsworth beyond what we've talked about? Like, what would you like them to have, you know, the view of? Oh, that's quite an interesting question. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it kind of links back to what I've been saying about, like, the history and then the decline but well I'm saying that but people I want people to kind of not focus on decline not think you know oh, it's this lost place it's no good anymore it was all right in the past but oh it's just a it's just run down now because there are lots of nice things nice people nice places um and yeah I I, I don't want people to see it as just this place that declined and is awful now which yeah. I think because there's so little about sort of positive history of it, I think sometimes it can get into a bit of that overly negative side of things. Yeah, mm. absolutely. 
Um, we'll get into kind of then your thoughts on like how the party's doing now, because whilst you've not been around for the 2019 election, you have been a party member for a year now, and I, I take it you've obviously you've gone to meetings, you've uh, you know perhaps done a bit of phone banking. What what's your take oh, on how? Way they... too much phone banking. <laughs> Braver than I am, it gives me too much anxiety. I must say, I'm much more of a leafleting man. Um, so for doing that, what how how do you feel the constituency is politically right now? Oh, um, I guess it's, it is quite hard to tell being so far away from a general election, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. I think from what I've sort of seen and well heard speaking to people on the phones, in terms of the council, people generally are happy with the Labour run Wakefield Council. Mm. Um, you get sort of pockets of people where they're they hate it or they're just sick of it but I think on the whole people sort of like um Labour locally I'm not quite as sure about sort of the view of the Labour nationally and everything nationally um because everything in the past year has been massively overshadowed by Covid really which has kind of skewed everything a little bit yeah absolutely um see this is kind of the the whole issue we've got with kind of gauging with the Labour Party is just because there's been this rally around the flag effect we've seen not just with national government, but also with local government, because a lot of people who used to despise the councillors and will post about them in community pages, they've suddenly really taken a shine to their local representatives all of a sudden. Mm. They've been doing stuff like running out food parcels, and it's it's really kind of... In the Guardian article I read out when we were talking about the miners' strike, there was this sense of you're never that far away from a friend and everyone was kind of in this really tight-knit community, and that's kind of re-emerged a little bit, um, which is quite interesting. I suppose the... Only the thing I'd want to ask, I don't know about Rob, is this kind of hypothetical scenario that I've considered asking people when we talk about these constituencies, which is you have managed to get a conversation with Keir Stam. You've managed to go over the phone with him. He's managed to pull himself away from PMQs and making his hair look all, you know, shiny for one second. You get to have a conversation with him one-on-one and you get to tell him, you know, what the party needs to be doing to kind of win these places back, build back trust and, you know, get this place to being where Labour is so safe it's unreal. What would you say to him or ask him to do i think it sort of goes back to what we were saying before about not being complacent don't take the north and the red wall for granted even the seats that labor held on to like hemsworth uh, you know don't don't expect that people will continue to vote labor just because they have and for generations because as we've seen that can all disappear in one election um and i really 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 don't want to get into any sort of factionalism because I hate that so much um Mm. but um I think there have been times when Keir Starmer has verged a little bit into sort of a caricature of the north and red wall voters um and the whole flag thing which Uh, I know lots of people have lots of thoughts about um my my sort of view on it is that that is kind of based on the caricature of Northern Red Wall voters thinking, oh, you know, they just like Britain. If we talk lots about flags, they'll vote for us again. Mm. I think that's a bit sort of disingenuous and almost an insult to those voters. Cause you know, just talking about flags isn't gonna do it. You, you know, you need to think about what we actually need and want in the North. Um, you know, sort of investment in areas like Hemsworth that have struggled since they lost the mining industry and 
you know, actual sort of real things to help and not just this idea based on a caricature of the Red Wall. Mm -hmm. Great. Rob, do you have any more questions? Uh, well, my questions are, well, I have two questions. Uh, last time when we spoke uh, to to Theo from, from Wakefield, he spoke to us, uh, he told us about how the Yorkshire Party were making inroads in Wakefield. Uh, have you heard anything about the Yorkshire Party in Hemsworth or is it is it a Wakefield phenomenon? Um, I've not heard anything about it, so I don't imagine it's much of a concern unless people just aren't telling me. <laughs> Fair enough. And the, the second question I always ask is, we've got the, in fact, my poll cards come through today confirming it, um, the mayoral election coming up and... Hemsworth, despite just being on the border with South Yorkshire, has, is annexed by West Yorkshire and you will be voting in that election. So is Tracy Brabin coming across well in Hemsworth, do you know, or is it is it leaning towards the uh, councillor Matthew of the Conservative Party? Um, I've been doing a lot of sort of campaigning phone banking for Tracy Brabin. Um, and again, no one wants to be complacent, but everyone's quite confident that she's going to win mm. um yeah the conservative candidate whose name i keep forgetting Councillor um, matthew don't yeah. worry you're, you're not the only one i think me and Rob <laughs> collectively forgot his name twice when we've talked about him in previous podcasts is it, is it robinson is it matthew yes robinson? it is i've learned it now uh, it's councillor councillor matthew as um he um he's the candidate sort of because they couldn't find anyone else but yes uh, i'm happy to hear that tracy's doing well in hemsworth as well if if I might yeah, just segue into this as well, he was not invited to an event the Conservatives hosted called Meet Your Future Conservative Mayors. I mean, they really don't think he's going to win. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, I think that sums it up quite well. Um, but I, I think one thing Tracy's got on her side is that both in sort of the political sphere and the wider sphere in terms of she was an actor before, she's got that kind of name recognition. Yeah. So... A lot of the time, um, you'll be speaking to people on the phone and you'll go, oh, our candidate's Tracy Braben. They'll go, oh, I know her. And mm. just that helps. Yeah. it's. I mean, I'm I'm quietly confident that Tracy will win. Um, I'm yeah. nervous about the Batley by-election, but I'm confident mm. she'll win. Well, that Batley is, um, Batley as ever, is, in, is imploding again. Oh, um, yeah, it's a recent oh, drama. God, yeah. We shan't of... speak about that on this podcast. We'll save no. that for another one, shall we, Rob? Yep. <laughs> We'll save that for Waiting for the Salvation, our regular series, which, by the way, you can check out if you go through our podcast feed. Well, if you want to check out Eleanor, we've left the social link in the description. Don't worry about that. Eleanor, have you got anything final you want to say on uh, what is allegedly your first podcast? Um, I, don't, I don't think so. It's been great doing this. I mean, thank you very much for having me on. It's been interesting for me to learn more about Hemsworth that I didn't know, actually. Ah, it's not a bother. Don't worry about it. That's good. Um, as ever, you can find all the links in the description, um, including I'm going to leave a link to uh, a dissertation I found talking about the politicisation of Hemsworth in the mining communities, which was written in 1994, which I use as kind of a source for talking about the um, miners' strike. And I just found it fascinating. Mm. If you want to check out our social links, you can find us at Red Reporting on Twitter and Instagram or Red Reporting 2021 on Facebook. If you want to get in touch with us and find out if we can cover your seat, by all means do. If you think you live in a Red Wall seat, get in touch with us. We do the bulk of the research and the bulk of the shit-chatting. Eleanor, it's been cracking having you on. Thank mm. you for coming on. And thank you, listener, for sticking around to the end. Goodbye. Bye-bye.
based off of kind of what you've heard of the everyone before Derek, what do you expect then of like a typical Hemsworth MP? That has been sort of with all the MPs we've looked at so far, the thread running through them all that they either were miners themselves or they're involved in the mining community, um, which makes sense really because that that's what the area was. It was mining and not much else. So yeah, it kind of what else could the MPs be and get elected? Mm. Well, Rob, shall we see? Well, Derek Enright was born in Thornaby on Tees, which was then the North Riding of Yorkshire. There have been some border changes since then, um, sadly. Um, he was educated at Woodham College in Oxford where he gained a Bachelor in Arts in Classics. He was very much not a minor. He became a teacher of Classics at the John Fisher School in London. He taught there from 1959 to 1967. In the 70s, he taught at St Wilfrid's Catholic High School, where he was noted to have taught the kids to sing Yellow Submarine and Ten Green Bottles in Latin. In 1974, though, he, gains rep he becomes representative on the West Yorkshire County Council. And that leads him in turn to then become the Labour MEP for Leeds. He, he gets the nomination, because back then, bearing in mind, obviously we've just, well, I say just, it's 2021. Uh, two years back, we had the European Parliament elections, and if you vote in them, you'll know that they're done by the de Hunt method. That's a proportional representation sort of system of electing representatives. Uh, the early elections in the European Parliament were done by first past the post. So um, he gets the nod just ahead of... Um, another candidate he wins by one vote to become the presumed nominee for Leeds he is elected and he served until 1984 but he is then deselected due to factionalism the same sort of factionalism that brings Woodall down is still there in the party and it's still causing problems uh, this is obviously you know 1984 that's just three years before Woodall loses his seat so it's a big problem still he does get the nod to go and stand to be the representative in Kent East uh, for the European Parliament, but he doesn't win that because it's in Kent in, in 1980s. He's going to vote one way. Yeah. Um, he was the British Labour Group spokesperson on the Third World Affairs in his time in the European Parliament. And when he loses his seat, he goes to Guinea-Bissau and he, he works in Guinea-Bissau to assess the situation there. Um, when George Buckley dies, he is, <laughs> he's nominated as the Labour candidate for Hemsworth. And that's a little bit misleading because there is a little bit of a farce about this. And that is that the Labour Party was hopelessly divided uh, about the decision to impose a moderate candidate instead of a ally of Scargill. Scargill and his allies, want, uh, allies wanted a man called Ken Capstick to be the, the candidate for Hemsworth. Uh, but something which is quite, you know, jovially called the by-election hit squad led by Roy Hattersley, deputy leader of the Labour Party, weren't having any of it. They did not want Capstick uh, to be the MP. They saw him as a troublemaker and obviously as an ally of Scargill, the last thing they wanted was another troublemaker in the Labour Party. So they give them a list of four moderates and when, when Hemsworth say no, they say, well, it doesn't matter then and they force Enright on the constituency. That's uh, incredible. Yeah, it's That's actually incredible. It's it's a very interesting sort of story for him. But and you'd expect it to go um really badly, the by-election to go really badly, but he he um he wins 66.3% of the vote and it actually goes quite well. I think the people of Hensworth are, are quite surprised by this chirpy uh 
sort of character who just emerges from nowhere, can speak Latin. Some of his election campaign posters have Latin on them as well. So he's, he's very big on the Latin. So we go from having a minor to having a man elected by singing Latin and putting it on his posters. Mm, yeah. It doesn't sound something that would be far detached from an antique of Rhys Mogg. That's actually incredible. It was, but he was very popular throughout Parliament. Um, he, he was, in 1993, during a debate on education reform bill, he was challenged by Nicholas Fairburn, the, cons- uh, the Conservative representative for Perth and Kinross, to sing uh, Yellow Submarine <laughs> in Latin, which he did. He, uh, he yeah. proceeded to sing in Latin in the House of Commons and only stopped when he was bollocked by the Speaker for doing so. Um, other That's... than that, he's, he's probably one of the more, more long-lasting things he's done is he formed the Christian... Uh, the, the cross-party movement for Christian democracy. He was a co-founder of that in 1990. And parts of that have gone on to form the largely unsuccessful Christian People's Alliance, the political party who stand, uh, I think, largely in London. They've stood and not really where anywhere else. Um, but he, like Buckley, isn't MP for very long. It's only four years, really. Um, I think it's only four years. Yes, because yes. Uh, Buckley dies in 91. Um Enright sadly dies in 95 so he's only MP um, for a very short amount of time. It's a very sad end to this. Uh, Barbara Castle says that he was as sincere a man as I've ever met. So very high high praise from a sort of champion of that Labour Party you know, heritage, Barbara Castle. His inheritor, just before we move on to George, his inheritor is the current incumbent, John Trickett. I was just going to note that um, I actually dug this up, just going back to Woodall slightly, because um, he's very unfortunate and he notes it because he points out in the meeting where he's deselected, um, in all its long history, the the Yorkshire NUM has allowed its MPs to die in office or retire with honour. I am the first to be sacked for no reason. Mm. And then we have a return to form with MPs dying, even though one of them is not an NUM man. And in fact, this Latin singing eccentric man who was cut down in his prime. Mm, he was very popular throughout much of what he does. Very popular. Um, he played cricket uh, and there was, there was a, they went to Greece to play cricket. And there was a, a point where uh, it's no amount of, uh, someone said, I don't recall who it was, but someone said that no amount of Uzo Uzo, Uzu, the, the Greek drink, the Greek spirit Uzo, or whatever it's pronounced as, no amount of it would stop Derek Enright trying to converse in Greek with the Greeks. And uh, they noted it was very upsetting because uh, Derek only knew how to speak ancient Greek. He did not know how to speak modern Greek. So uh, there was a bit of confusion in that. I don't know if that was, if that was an exact thing. I, I, I think Derek may have been aware that there have been some linguistic changes in Greece since Plato, but... It was nonetheless quite indicative of who he was as a character. Well, I mean, Derek must... Um, if only Derek had been born, like, about 400 years before he was, because he could have taught at that school in Hemsworth, but he needed he a good quality Greek teacher, and just it didn't happen. And Hemsworth could have been the bastion of Greek culture in the, uh, in West, in, you know, in the north of England. Well, that's the thing. That school was set up before the Quegg School in Wakefield, so Hemsworth could have been a metropolitan elite hub for intellectual mm. discourse. Um, but as, as Rob points out um unfortunately Derek died sadly in 1995 due to cancer at the age of 60 which means we can then come to the final MP um Mr John Trickett 
Yes, he is is someone who I think we can all talk about because we all know who this man is. He is the incumbent, as we've said, and he's he's quite he's relatively controversial. He's I yeah, he, he's had a political journey, shall we say. Um, he, he does. He after N Enright's death, um, he becomes the member of parliament. Now I couldn't find any sort of scandal about his selection, so I assume it was fairly run of the mill. Well his his background was that he'd uh, he, he was from Leeds, so he, again, mm. not born in a constituency, continuing the trend which only one of them has booked. Um, but he's, he, uh, unlike as well, unlike a lot of his um, contemporaries as well, he went to university, he actually received a master's in uh, political sociology from Leeds. Mm. Um, his background was working as a plumber and a, and a builder, whilst also working in the um, anti-Vietnam War movement. Um, he was also responsible for the Labour left in Leeds having a particularly strong footing. And he also was secretary of the Vote No campaign in the 1975 common market referendum. Oh, right, I see. Yes, yeah, uh, was... a, a man after the Brexit, the Lexit vote. Um, <laughs> before, yes. we get in, before we get into his parliamentary career, should we ask Eleanor, what, what do you think of John Trickett? I mean, have you, have you met the man? I've met him over Zoom as is everything these days over mm. zoom i've not met i don't think i met him in person but yeah i um i've seen him over zoom quite a bit um i personally think he's brilliant like he's sticks with principles and listens to the local people um mm. and you know they're kind of the, the two big things you want from mp really um and i think he kind of because obviously we've talked about um, the history of the area and a sort of an industrial mining area. And I, I think he, he gets that and the history and how that has affected the present day and what the people want locally. Um, mm. I, I could go on to talk about the most recent election, but I assume we'll be getting on to that in a bit. So we, yeah, we'll, we, we, will, yeah. we will speak about the more recent <laughs> stuff, yeah. But just so, a very, very brief overview of what he's done before 2019. Um, he obviously becomes MP. He was Peter Mandelson's PPS, Private Parliamentary Secretary. And uh, he he leaves government more or less at the same time as Mandelson when he has his big fall from grace. Trickett goes on to chair the Compass Group, which um, is sort of a, a left of centre pressure group with, that is associated with the Labour Party. When Iraq rolls around, he is very much against. He participates in protests in London, in Wakefield and in Leeds. And he just he's, he's having none of it he rebels at every opportunity he gets against tony blair on on things that aside from iraq as well he becomes very much a one of these ardent rebels against blair's leadership he's against trident as you may expect from what some of the things george was saying earlier on and he campaigns that he becomes the campaign manager for john cruder's run at the deputy leadership in uh, 2007 uh, john cruder only got 19.4 percent of the vote overall and he doesn't um he doesn't become the deputy leader harriet Harman does but he's, he's involved Miliband appoints him to the shadow minister for the cabinet office and when Miliband fails in 2015 he nominates corbyn for the leadership corbyn is as we all know successful and is appointed and appoints trickett as the shadow lord president of the council and then as the shadow secretary of state for business um jumping ahead of the election in 2019, just a little bit. He backs Long Bailey in 2020, and when she fails, uh, he's asked to step away from the front bench 
uh, where he currently resides as a backbencher. So we're going to obviously talk about 2019, some of the other election results very quickly. Uh, in 1997, at the peak sort of Labour vote you see when Blair comes to power, he earns 70.6% of the votes. The referendum party does stand in Hemsworth and he gets 2.8% of the vote. In 2005, after the Iraq wars happened and the scandal around that, that drops sharply to 58.8%. Veritas, uh, sort of splinter group of UKIP led by uh, Kilroy Silk, um, a TV presenter and former Labour MP, they get a whopping 3.4% in the constituency. Now, in 2001, just going back a little bit, Liz Truss uh, stands in Hemsworth. The, uh, the, the Queen of Cheese herself, <laughs> briefly, standing there. Um, well, the um, apple orchards inside of Hemsworth constituency, she must have been furious about the lack of British apples. Mm, quite. She, um, she doesn't stick around for long. Uh, by 2010, the vote share is down to 46.8%. Uh, the BNP stand this year and they achieve 7%, but they don't really stand again. 2015, UKIP get 20% of the vote. And in 2017, we see a big shift of uh, over half of that vote goes to the Conservative Party and they close the gap to within about 20% of the vote share. And as we like to do, we're going to talk about 2019. It's, it's very close. It's much closer than so now the, the statistics we've been looking at so far in terms of like 80%, 70%, and even like, you know, sort of the, the, the you know, at the start of his career, Trickett himself was on 70%. 2019, he's got a majority of 2.7%. And there's a, there's a huge drop in 2019, 18.5% uh, decrease in Labour's vote share in the constituency. Um, so I'll let George introduce the next sort of part. Well, I was going to say, actually, rather than go to me, shall I go to Eleanor? Because obviously she said she'd like to talk a little bit about the most recent election, and I feared that now might be the time. Um. Yeah, this is all just sort of my personal thoughts and trying to work it out myself. But I, John Trickett has been pretty popular all through his time as MP. Um, I'd say that probably the issue for a lot of people was the party nationally and the stance or lack thereof on Brexit, because um, it was an area that heavily voted to leave. And I don't think people were happy with the... Um, sort of lack of clarity um, when it came to Brexit from the National Labour Party. Mm. Having said that, I don't think um, we should become complacent and think, well, I'll just come back in the next election now Brexit's sorted. Um, I think that would be quite a dangerous thing to do. Mm. Uh, yes, Hemsworth is remarkably close. My friend, who is currently sat outside in the sun, enjoying life, uh, is from the constituent of Hemsworth. And he said in 2019 to me, Rob, there's absolutely no way he'll even be close in Hemsworth. And I still remember the, the surprise on his face when I told him uh, how close it was. So it's it was a big surprise in 2019 that Hemsworth was as close as it was. Um, in terms of the actual vote share, we did, uh, obviously the, the majority was there. As Eleanor said, complacency is is definitely not the way to go. In 2019, the Brexit party got 13.5% of the vote. And with a majority of only 2.7%, uh, any, you know, even a small amount of that swinging to the Tories at the next election will be, uh, will be bad news. But that being said, 
this is this is unlike Wakefield. This seat has never been Tory before, and we can perhaps live in hope that the, um, as my granddad put it, the the people who voted Conservatives having their hands physically shaking while doing so, is, you know, sort of having to force themselves to do it, they'll come back into the fold, and uh, and and it will be a Labour hold. It's. Um, it's always difficult because we're so far away from an election to sort of say how it's going. But we've seen recently in the polling suggestions that we're going to that Labour would take back a lot of the seats lost in 2019 in the north. It's 46 percent to 44 percent ahead in just the red wall seats, as the, as the pollsters like to call it. So there is a lot of hope in Hemsworth. But as Eleanor says, complacency is, is always the killer. And the upcoming by-election in Hartlepool in particular will be an indication of how things are going in Northern Seas. I suppose then I'd like to ask Arnold just two questions before perhaps we round off and just talk a bit about the upcoming local elections. Um, first of all, what do you want people to know about Hemsworth beyond what we've talked about? Like, what would you like them to have, you know, the view of? Oh, that's quite an interesting question. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it kind of links back to what I've been saying about, like, the history and then the decline but well I'm saying that but people I want people to kind of not focus on decline not think you know oh it's this lost place it's no good anymore it was all right in the past but oh it's just a it's just run down now because there are lots of nice things nice people nice places um and yeah I I I don't want people to see it as just this place that declined and is awful now which yeah. I think because there's so little about sort of positive history of it, I think sometimes it can get into a bit of that overly negative side of things. Yeah, mm. absolutely. So, um, we'll get into kind of then your thoughts on like how the party's doing now, because whilst you've not been around for the 2019 election, you have been a party member for a year now. And I, I take it you've obviously, you've gone to meetings, you've, uh, you know, perhaps done a bit of phone banking. What, what's your take oh, on how... Way to... too much phone banking. <laughs> You're braver than I am. It gives me too much anxiety, I must say. I'm much more of a leafleting man. Um, so for doing that, what, how, how do you feel the constituency is politically right now? Oh, um, I guess it's, it is quite hard to tell, being so far away from a general election, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. I think from what I've sort of seen and well heard speaking to people on the phones, in terms of the council, people generally are happy with the Labour run Wakefield Council. Mm. Um, you get sort of pockets of people where they hate it or they're just sick of it. But I think on the whole, people sort of like um, Labour locally. I'm not quite as sure about sort of the view of the Labour nationally and everything nationally. Because um, everything in the past year has been massively overshadowed by COVID, really, which has kind of skewed everything a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, see, this is kind of the, the whole issue we've got with kind of gauging with the Labour Party is just because there's been this rally around the flag effect we've seen, not just with national government, but also with local government, because a lot of people who used to despise the councillors and will post about them in community pages, they've suddenly really taken a shine to their local representatives all of a sudden. Mm. They've been doing stuff like running out food parcels, and it's it's really kind of... In the Guardian article I read out when we were talking about the miners' strike, there was this sense of you're never that far away from a friend and everyone was kind of in this really tight-knit community, and that's kind of re-emerged a little bit, um, which is quite interesting. I suppose the only other thing I'd want to ask, I don't know about Rob, is 
this kind of hypothetical scenario that I've considered asking people when we talk about these constituencies, which is you have managed to get a conversation with Keir Starmer. You've managed to go over the phone with him. He's managed to pull himself away from PMQs and making his hair look all, you know, shiny for one second. You get to have a conversation with him one-on-one and you get to tell him, you know, what the party needs to be doing to kind of win these places back, build back trust and, you know, get this place to being where Labour is so safe, it's unreal. What would you say to him or ask him to do? I think it sort of goes back to what we were saying before about not being complacent. Don't take the North and the Red Wall for granted, even the seats that Labour held onto, like Hemsworth. Uh, you know, don't don't expect that people will continue to vote Labour just because they have and for generations, because as we've seen, that can all disappear in one election. Um, and I really, really, really don't want to get into any sort of factionalism because <laughs> I hate that so much. Um, mm. But um, I think there have been times when Keir Starmer has verged a little bit into sort of a caricature of the North and Red Wall voters um, and the whole flag thing, which uh, you know, lots of people have lots of thoughts about. Um, <laughs> my, sort of, my sort of view on it is that that is kind of based on the caricature of Northern Red Wall voters thinking, oh, you know, they just like Britain. If we talk lots about flags, they'll vote for us again. Mm. I, I think that's a bit sort of disingenuous and almost an insult to those voters because you know just talking about flags isn't going to do it you you know you need to think about what we actually need and want in the north um you know sort of investment in areas like Hemsworth that have struggled since they lost the mining industry and you know actual sort of real things to help and not just this idea based on a caricature of the red wall mm -hmm. Great. Rob, do you have any more questions? Uh, well, my questions are, well, I have two questions. Uh, last time when we spoke uh, to to Theo from, from Wakefield, he spoke to us, uh, he told us about how the Yorkshire Party were making inroads in Wakefield. Uh, have you heard anything about the Yorkshire Party in Hemsworth or is it is it a Wakefield phenomenon? Um, I've not heard anything about it, so I don't imagine it's much of a concern unless people just aren't telling me. <laughs> Fair enough. And the, the second question I always ask is we've got the, in fact, my poll cards come through today confirming it, um, the mayoral election coming up. And Hemsworth, despite just being on the border with South Yorkshire, has, is annexed by West Yorkshire and you will be voting in that election. So is Tracy Brabin coming across well in Hemsworth, do you know? Or is it is it leaning towards the uh, councillor Matthew of the Conservative Party? Um, I've been doing a lot of sort of campaigning phone banking for Trace Rabin. Um, and again, no one wants to be complacent, but everyone's quite confident that she's going to win. Mm. Um, yeah, the Conservative candidate whose name I keep forgetting. Councillor um, Matthew. Don't yeah. worry, you're, you're not the only one. I think me and Rob both <laughs> collectively forgot his name twice when we've talked about him in previous podcks. Is it, is it Robinson? Is it yes, it is. I've learned it now. <laughs> Uh, councillor councillor matthew as um he um he's the candidate sort of because they couldn't find anyone else but yes uh, i'm happy to hear that tracy's doing well in hemsworth as well if, if i might yeah, just segue into this as well he was not invited to an event the conservatives hosted called meet your future conservative mayors i mean they really don't think he's gonna win oh dear <laughs> yeah i think that sums it up quite well um but i 
I think one thing Tracy's got on her side is that both in sort of the political sphere and the wider sphere in terms of she was an actor before, she's got that kind of name recognition. Yeah. So a lot of the time um, you'll be speaking to people on the phone and you'll go, oh, our candidate's Tracy Braben. They'll go, oh, I know her. And mm. just that helps. Yeah, it's... I mean, I'm I'm quietly confident that Tracy will win. Um, I'm yeah. nervous about the Batley by-election, but I'm confident she will win. Well, that... Batley is um, Batley as ever is in, is imploding again. Oh um, yeah, it's the recent oh, drama. God, yeah. We shan't of... speak about that on this podcast. We'll save no. that for another one, shall we, Rob? Yep. <laughs> we'll save that for waiting for salvation, our regular series. Which, by the way, you can check out if you go through our podcast feed. Highly. Well, if you want to check out Eleanor, we've left the social link in the description. Don't worry about that. Eleanor, have you got anything final you want to say on uh, what is allegedly your first podcast? Um, I don't. I don't think so. It's been great doing this i mean thank you very much for having me on it's been interesting for me to learn more about hemsworth that i didn't know actually oh it's not a bother don't worry about it that's good um as ever you can find all the links in the description um including i'm going to leave a link to uh, a dissertation i found talking about the politicization of hemsworth in the mining communities which was written in 1994 which i use as kind of a source for talking about the um, miners' strike, and I just found it fascinating. Mm. If you want to check out our social links, you can find us at Red Reporting on Twitter and Instagram, or Red Reporting 2021 on Facebook. If you want to get in touch with us and find out if we can cover your seat, by all means do. If you think you live in a Red Wall seat, get in touch with us. We do the bulk of the research and the bulk of the shit-chatting. Eleanor, it's been cracking having you on. Thank you for coming on, and thank you, listener, for sticking around to the end. Goodbye. Bye-bye.